Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. On today's podcast, we have Olympic gold medalist Kerry Pothas. The biggest serves coming up in the career of Kerry Pothas and for her partner Natalie Cook. Match point to Beattie. Thank you so much for being so patient and understanding with scheduling and rescheduling. Totally fine. I'm pretty flexible. I don't have a lot going on at the moment. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. That's very helpful. Where to start? Because I think when I initially reached out to you, it was off the back of SAS and one particular moment in that adventure (laughs) kind of really (laughs) stuck out to me and I wanted to really understand a couple of things about that whole I guess journey for you because at one point I think it was Aunt Middleton the dude in the black skibby <laughs> for anyone at home who doesn't know for sure he kept saying that you were old and that you know you've aged 10 years in 10 days or whatever it was and I just wanted to reach into the television and punch him <laughs> <laughs> because to me watching you on that show, you were just so fierce and so incredible. And it wasn't just, you know, you're incredible for your age. You were just full stop incredible. So that really pissed me off on behalf of you. (laughs) I guess I want to know how you felt being in that position and, and having those things said to you. Yeah, well, look, first of all, I was the oldest. So that was the narrative that they were going with for the show because when they put a show like that together, they have a certain lot of different people that they want to kind of um, pigeon box or pigeonhole, whatever, into certain roles. And, you know, you've got the bad guys, you've got the supermodels, you've got the retired athletes, the mums, whatever. You've got the (laughs) shifters. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. There's always one. Mm. Um, And it makes for good viewing, right, and especially when you're under stress like that show puts you on. We we don't call it a show. It was really a course. It wasn't a show because it was 24-7. The lights were always on as in, you know, the cameras were always on, the cameras are always around you. And when I say cameras, they're not cameramen. They're not guys hiding around in the bushes. Sometimes when we're out, you know, in the fields they were, but when we were back in the barracks or whatever, you know, the cameras are just in the corners and you can see the cameras moving whenever Mm. they spot that there's a little conversation going on. So there's people watching, you know, in this little caravan somewhere of all these different screens and they're just trying to capture all the conversations. So first of all, like I was kind of, I guess, put him on the course for that reason because I was older and and because I said from the outset that I want to do it to inspire older women Mm. and so they really respected that and they obviously knew that I was 55 and you know I was probably I don't know the next oldest could have been Yana actually at 38 or something so quite a bit older uh, significantly so that was really the only thing they had on me Mm. because I don't have any kind of deep, dark secrets to unveil. I don't have any, you know, things that are in the media that I had to kind of work through or anything like that. So that's really all they had on me. So that's, yeah, that's kind of why they he picked on it. But when he said that, that moment that he said, oh, you, you look like you've aged 10 years. Well, of course, 
we'd hardly slept at all. Like you get about an hour or two sleep every night, you know, patchy sleep. You've got dirt all over your face. You've got a hood over you and then they rip the hood off. You know, I don't think anyone really would have looked there. <laughs> very, very decent with the hood coming off. Um, but it's funny, a lot of people reached out to me on social media and it just kind of went over my head at the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably do. Mm. <laughs> so it didn't really bother me, but. Yeah, the way they edit the show is always going to make it look like, you know, something really dramatic. How did you feel going through the course? Like, did you do as well as you expected? Did you do better? Like, what did you hope to learn from it? Yeah, well, the funny thing is, you know, and it, like I do a lot of coaching myself of women now, specific, specifically, um, and, you know, I always say to them, be careful what you wish for and be careful what goals that you set for yourself because you'll probably achieve them. And the funny thing is I actually said to myself beforehand, you know, I'd be really happy if I get halfway through. Mm. And that's exactly where I, I got to. I got halfway through. I wow. got to the end of day six. It was a 13-day course, so it was just about halfway through. And so... And it was only because of my knee that I pulled out. I would have mm. kept going. It got pretty physical after that, so I definitely would have struggled strength-wise because obviously I was like the weakest strength-wise at that point. But, yeah, I would have gone further. And I was just so devastated when I had to pull out because I just wanted to keep going. Like mentally nothing had really um, phased me. There were so many moments that I was scared out of my wits, mm. so many moments that I thought, oh, my God, I'm petrified, but I'm so used to doing things when I'm scared mm. that it didn't really bother me. And as soon as I saw someone else do it, even if it was the, you know, one of the instructors and they gave us a, a demo for every um, activity, like they would do it first, one of the four guys. And even if I saw them do it, I thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it. I'm not going to do it as well as them, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Might not look as pretty, but, you know, I could yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, and I, so I was pretty proud. At the end of the day, I was pretty proud that I got that far and, um, you know, I was overwhelmed with beautiful messages from women all over Australia and from, you know, England and New Zealand who are watching it, you know, online or whatever, and, and they were all kind of, you know, saying how um, amazing I was and I'm like, really? I kind of felt like a bit of a, a weakling but mm. at the time, you know, when I put it in perspective and went, oh, yeah, well, okay, I'm pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> did all right. I did okay. I did all right. Isn't that funny though? Is that Do you feel like that's um an element of that athlete mentality where you're like, eh, everyone else did better, you know, obviously the people who got to the end, that's where – you know, the magic is, whereas, you know, people looking in from the outside are like, you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely athletes have got an advantage, you know, former athletes. I mean, current athletes obviously probably shouldn't do it because there is a high risk of injury. And I think oh. almost everybody that left the show was injured, you know, in one way or another. I'm still recovering six months down the track hey, with my really? knee. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I ended up having knee surgery. I waited a couple of months to see whether I really needed or not to see if I could cut, if it would settle down. But that knee had already had four surgeries. So mm. it wasn't anything new. I knew there was a risk that I might damage, damage it. And I said to myself, look, I'm prepared to do it. Take the risk. If it takes me a few months to heal, I'm okay. <laughs> so I ended up having surgery, had some more cartilage cleaned out. And they did a little bit more while they were in there. So I've kind of, you know, cleaned it up a bit more. So, yeah, I'm just recovering from that. So hopefully I'll, I'll be a 100%. But 
but it's never really 100% when you've had five surgeries. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> it's as it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that- but I think athletes, I think, sorry, on that, on your question, so I think athletes really do have an advantage because we're so used to pushing ourselves and mm. we just actually really enjoy the challenge. Mm. So it's really hard to say no to the opportunity in the first place because yeah. I got, the, I got a text message from Yana Pittman, actually, you know, in January saying, hey, I'm on this show. They're looking for another retired female athlete. Are you interested? And I'm lying in bed at 7.30 in the morning. I started writing out, no, what a joke, like as if they want me. I'm like broken. I'm old. Uh, I couldn't possibly do it. And I wrote this whole reply, but I didn't press send. I just looked at it and I just sat in it for a minute. Mm. All these thoughts started to come through my head Well. I what if I don't do it? Am I going to regret it? Like, what an opportunity. I'll, look, I could at least just speak to the producers and see what they say and mm. see, you know, see what they want me to do. So I deleted it, you know, press, press delete, da, 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 and then I wrote, yeah, okay, I'll speak to the pro- producers. And from that moment it, it was on because they said, like, they really, really wanted me. Mm. So I, I think it's, yeah, when you've come from that athletic background that um – I, I I feel the same way. That physical challenge is just it's my that's my jam. And I imagine that's kind of your jam as well. Like you want to see what your body's capable of, even if it's something that's so outside of your comfort zone and not where you've been before. And yeah, it's really hard to say no to those kinds of opportunities for sure. Would you do it? Yeah. I, I, I have actually been asked and so far I've said no because I got asked at the beginning of the year and I said no because that is my comfort zone in a way. Like even though it is totally outside of my comfort zone with all the physical challenges and, you know, the mental stresses that you are put under in that environment, like that's something that really kind of lights me up. But for me, I knew that if I did SAS, then I would not do my university studies. And for me, (laughs) that is way more outside of my comfort zone at the moment because I just don't think I'm smart enough to complete my degree. Yeah, so I've been really tussling with that because I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be so fun. Like, yeah, (laughs) really like. Well, there's the athlete mentality because we think, okay, if we say yes to that, we actually have to prepare for it. And I like, I doubled down on all my training. I was Mm. already training back in the gym again because of COVID. I'd lost a lot of my speaking work. So Mm. I was like, what am I going to do? Okay, I go back to the gym. And all of a sudden, going to the gym two or three times a week, I was really actually enjoying it. Yeah. For the first time in my athletic career, I was like, oh, my God, this feels really good. I feel strong. You know, I'm actually enjoying the endorphins running through my body and I'm just like this is cool and then when I got asked I actually doubled down on everything and I was training twice a day which is kind of crazy and I was really being careful of what I was eating and my body completely transformed as well and so that's why I'm so passionate now about strength training especially for women as we get older we need to stay strong to keep our bodies protected for so many reasons and most people think that you can't actually put on muscle when you get older or it's harder or whatever well I I did like I didn't have I didn't do measurements but you can see photos of me just in that time where I was training a lot how much strength and how much muscle I actually built, mm. which I've lost quite a bit of now because of my knee. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that I can do it and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to get back into training and, and you know, as soon as I can with my knee. And, yeah, I'm just loving it. I'm loving that physical feeling of being strong and I want to hold on to that, you know, as, as long as I can. Yeah, it's an incredibly powerful feeling, like I- empowering as well. Like you feel like you can take on the world. Like that's definitely something that I feel with my sort of training that I do now. So coming back yeah. to your 
volleyball career. I mean, because you talked about having five knee surgeries, that kind of started obviously through your volleyball career and is one of the reasons why you ended up going to beach volleyball in the first place. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So I played indoor volleyball for Australia for 10 years, um, travelled the world, played professionally in Italy for a year as well. First time I ever earned any money playing volleyball. I quit a really good job to go on and do that because I just wanted to get better. So I never did anything for the money. I always just wanted it to do it to improve and see how good I could actually get. Um, So I played a year in Italy and then I came back to Australia after the season ended, hoping that I'd go back again to, to play another year. And I felt like my game level really improved while I was over there. And I was playing, I was representing South Australia where I live, playing at the national champs um, not long after getting back. And obviously my setter was giving me every ball and I was just killing the ball for the team and and really playing hard and, and doing a lot of jumping. So I was feeling really fatigued. It was a week of competition grand final, playing against New South Wales. And I remember being in the air and I'm about to smash this ball down the line. And at the last minute, I changed my mind to whip it across court. Well, it got blocked. And as that ball landed, I landed to twist. I landed and twisted to get it. And that's when I completely ruptured my cruciate ligament, my medial ligament, um, I damaged my meniscus and cartilage. So that was the beginning of the the whole journey of like knees, for me so and that was back in 1992 wow so I've lived with knee pain pretty much I just it's just part of my life now you know I get up in the morning I'm like ouch ouch first few steps and then I'm okay yeah. um sometimes better than other times you know sometimes I can do things sometimes I can't so it's just been constant but after a year of trying to rehab not thinking that I'd really ever be able to play indoor again I I got asked to play beach and I went oh actually doesn't hurt as much jumping around or twisting because your foot goes with you it's much you know it's the sand is obviously more forgiving on your joints is it more forgiving though because that's that's what I was gonna ask I'm like like I've done normal running and look I'm not a runner I get it but like normal running on a pavement and beach running I find beach running much much harder Yeah, it's definitely harder because you're having to use more muscles. But imagine the the um, you know the impact on your joints. It's so much softer on your joints. Right. There's not that full impact. And my problem was too because of my my injury was my medial ligament, which is the one on the inside of your knee. The twisting and turning as well. Your foot goes with you, whereas the way I injured myself was my foot stuck to the floor and my body ripped against the forces of where my foot was kind of had landed, which is what a lot of netballers do when they stop and twist and turn. Um, And that was, you know, cruciate ligament gone as well. But, yeah, so you can imagine that doing all, like, those movements in the sand is actually not as stressful on my knee. Mm. So, I yeah, and then I fell in love with beach volleyball and very quickly got the results I needed to get on the world tour and then teamed up with Natalie and, you know, three Olympics later and a couple of medals and I finally retired (laughs) and said, okay, my knees have had it. And I've actually had seven knee surgeries now. So five on that bad one and I had two on the other knee that kind of had to take all the strain through those years as well. (laughs) So how do you, like with beach volleyball, how do you, how do you create your team? Like how do you find your partner that you're going to work with? Is that something that's done through the national organization or is it just something that you kind of go oh hey you seem like you'll be good to play with (laughs) yeah a bit of both actually so back in even when Natalie and I first started playing together it was the 
The partnership coming together was our choice at the time, but our National Federation, because both Natalie and I are tall, she's 5'11", I'm just over six foot, at that time normally you'd have a tall player and a short player, the tall ones at the net, the short ones at the back doing all the the defence. When we came together, they said to us, like, look, we don't think you're going to be good together. You're two, like, tall players that normally play at the net. Mm. Um, We're not going to fund you unless you finish top five in the next tournament that they actually, you know, had agreed for us to go to. And, again, you've got to be careful what you wish for because we finished fifth in the next couple of tournaments. So, you know, if they'd said you've got a medal, maybe we would have finished third. Mm. So I strongly believe in this whole thing. If you set your sights on something, that's as far as you're going to get. Don't hope or wish that you're going to get further. Set your sights as high as you can and, you know, you're probably going to get a lot further than if you limit yourself. Mm. The same thing happened in Atlanta in 96. We went into those Olympics thinking that we would win a medal or hoping that was our goal to win a medal and we had a chance in the semi-final to beat a team that we'd beaten a few times before, and we absolutely stuffed it. Absolutely, we just completely, you know, talked ourselves out of it because we're like, oh yeah, but a medal, oh, but uh, we're too, are we going to win? And boom, the game was over. Mm. And then we managed to, like, you know, then we only had one last chance to get the bronze the next day in the bronze medal playoff, and we played our little butts off and came home with the bronze, which was a medal, but we could have got more. So, yeah, that's what really drove us then to change the way we thought about Sydney and what we were going to go for for Sydney. It was a real, that was the catalyst that kind of got us thinking differently. Yeah, because I've, I've heard both you and Nat talk about having this gold medal mindset and basically I remember, oh, I think it was Nat talking about even the shampoo that you bought was like gold. Oh. The soap, the palm soap. olive gold soap. Palm olive gold <laughs> soap, yes. And I just, like, I love that concept that you've basically, four years prior to the 2000 Olympics, you've just decided that you were going to win the gold medal and you trained. Yeah, and- it was probably not four years out. It was probably ended up being about 18 months out. Okay. That's when we kind of really decided that that's what we're going to do. I mean, four years out, we're like, okay, let's go. What actually happened after Atlanta, the 96 games, is we just got a really, we actually got cocky. We just went, oh, we're really good now. We've got an Olympic medal. We don't have to train as hard. We're going to win everything. And then, or we're going to get better. And then our results actually started to get really shitty. (laughs) And we started to go backwards. And then we started to blame each other and fight a lot. Interesting. Um, And then we decided to split up. Then really? I went, hey, there's a girl over there that I want to try playing with. She's just come out of the national team. She's a really good player. I want to play with her. So Natalie then got another girl to play with. We played against each other for a year. And then after just after a year and a half, almost a year and a half of being apart, we actually came back together because we realised, nah, we're going to be really good together. And I remember the moment that we stepped on the sand together after being apart that long and it just felt, it just felt like I was home. Yeah, it just, that's the way I described it. It just felt like coming home, being back together with Natalie on the court. And that's when everything changed again. And we went, right, this is it. We're so good together. There's something, it's just magic. Mm. We're, we've got to go for gold. And then we got, got our mindset coach on board and, and he actually really made us understand or he, the, the question he asked us before 2000 was, what do you want? What do you, what's your goal? And we said, obviously, we want to win a gold medal. But then we thought, what happens? 
if our goal is gold and we come back with a silver or bronze, are we going to be happy? Can we aim for something higher Mm. than a gold medal? And that's when we came up with gold medal excellence being our goal. So that was the gold medal mindset. It was like we're going to live our lives with a gold medal excellence and along the way we would pick up the gold medal. So it kind of takes the pressure off just thinking gold medal, gold medal. It was just like instead of saying every day we're going to win a gold medal, it's just like let's be Olympic gold medalists in what we do. So we train like Olympic gold medalists. We ate like Olympic gold medalists. We you know, we talked to the media with the confidence of Olympic gold medalists. Everything we did, we thought, how would an Olympic gold medalist do this? This is how we're going to live our lives. And along the way, we'll pick up the gold medal. We just firmly believed that because we lived into who we had to be mm. before that moment. So when that moment came, it was almost like we're here. Yeah. And I look at the footage of us playing and we just look so supremely confident. We don't look, look freaked out. I mean, we were super nervous walking into the stadium, but, you know, on the court it was just like, yeah, this is, this is it. We're, we're here. We're, we've been practising this feeling for so long now that it's just a matter of making sure we do it. And what ended up happening was the Brazilians, who an amazing team, and they'd won everything in the lead-up to that, they were ahead of us in both sets and they had that confidence. And towards the end of each set, I think they started to think, why aren't these girls just laying down like every other team to mm. us because we're so good, like, we're, we're, you know, there's such a great team. Normally teams push, 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 and, you know, they hold, 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 and then they just can't hold on any longer and the Brazilians end up winning. And they just had this small, I think, doubt creep into their game that went, wow, these Aussies, they're just not going away. and as soon as that happened, we just kind of overtook them and that was the end of set one and then it happened again in set two. So, yeah, it was just it's just such an incredible mindset journey that I, I haven't been able to stop helping people learn how to have that kind of mindset since, whether mm. they're athletes or everyday people. I was going to ask you about that because I, I love that concept of the gold medal mindset and working towards this bigger goal but I, I yeah you touched on it where you spoke about it wasn't actually the gold medal like it was just living an intentional gold medal mindset way to work towards that but if you didn't achieve it you would still be whole and you can still be you know hang oh, your hat on it be really proud absolutely. of that absolutely yeah and I look there's no doubt we would have been devastated because that was our our intention you know was to to kind of come away with the gold and that was part of the steps basically we would have been devastated but at the end of the day when we sat back and and looked at our journey we would have gone well we did every absolutely everything we could have done there Mm. wasn't one stone left unturned and the Brazilians would have been better on the day or whoever beat us on the day so you know we still would have been okay with it so although you can you know, you, you you have that as a goal. It's it's who you become and mm. who you want to be to be able to achieve that goal. That's way more important, and that's what I'm trying to instill now into our sport, especially because we're we're sports. Sometimes I think organisations are so obsessed with working out and training and getting the competitions in and strategy and and all the practical things that we often forget, like 
the athlete as a whole and how do we make this athlete be an amazing person because once they've reached their potential as a person they will reach their potential in their sport Mm. but if they're not able to to do all these other things which sometimes people in traditional sporting realms think are a little bit out there you know a bit of personal development (laughs) yeah a bit of pushing them out of their comfort zone in a off the court instead of just on the court or in the pool, like do some crazy things. Like I don't know when when I say it, even like in those words, do some crazy things. We walked on hot coals, we walked on broken glass, we went away on two team building exercises in the bush where you know it was dark and we had to follow our coaches' voices and hold hands and you know and go blindfolded holding eggs and like we just did all these different in, interesting things that you know some corporates do them now but I don't know many athlete groups that are doing getting a bit out of their comfort zone doing different things but it, it just made us realize that number one there's more to sport there's more mm. of a world out there and you can do all these different things but it just gave you that extra layer of confidence that you can actually push yourself a little bit further in other areas of your life and I think at the end of the day it made us such a, a whole person and a whole athlete that after we retired, there was never really that, oh, what happens when, you know, the lights go off and you hang up your bikinis and, mm. you know, life's not over because we'd become such interesting, interested, growth-minded individuals that we just went on to the next things and the next thing and the next thing quite easily. Because that's good. Um, that was going to be my next question is that do you feel like doing those things outside of kind of the volleyball arena allowed you to better prepare for life after sport? And from what I hear you saying, it's like you were able to better apply what you learn as an athlete to life after sport because I think that's one thing that I've been really stuck on is – you know, I feel like I have learned all these qualities and skills and um, perseverance and all of those sorts of things that you learn in sport, but it's really, I've found it difficult to translate it into life after. And obviously over time you start to understand how to apply it, but do you feel like you had already learned that through your sport and have made that transition a little bit easier? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think you nailed it right there is that we, we, we were learning all those things while we were still playing, but not while we were playing, but, mm. you know, in other in other arenas. But we were also, I guess we were a bit unique in that I was 35 when I won gold. Um, so oh, already really? Had, That's had, amazing. Yeah. So already had, you know, because I played indoor volleyball for 10 years, I wrecked my knee when I was 27, didn't really start playing beach volleyball till I was 29 and then made the first Olympics at 31. So I'd already been through quite a big life experience with that yes. that major knee injury and all the experiences I'd had indoors. So there's that, like my experience, but then on the and then the other hand, Natalie had just this hunger, this youthful hunger and the never give up, never say die attitude. Bringing that together was just magic. And then we found a coach who I remember going over to Queensland, uh, to to the LA actually with Natalie in I think it was 1995. So before the Atlanta Olympics, we were looking for a coach who could take us to the Olympics because we just again like when you look when you're trying to succeed and you've got a certain amount of people around you to help you, but then when you realise that you're already 
the same knowledge as those people. Like we found that we didn't have anyone else in Australia that could help us get to the next level. So we went seeking what what we didn't have. And I think sometimes people get limited by their environment and think, mm. okay, well, I have to just look in my environment. And I get out of your environment. Look, there's so much more out there in the world. So look and seek what you need, um, even if you don't know what it is yet. And we didn't really know what it was. We didn't know that it was mindset that was going to help us win the 2000 gold medal it was mm. definitely mindset it wasn't that we were heaps better as as volleyball players yeah we were better but it was our mindset and everything that we'd gone through but we landed on the beach in LA and we we had a coaching session with this guy Steve Anderson and the first session he talked quite a lot there's a lot of theory and interesting stuff we did a bit of stuff but then we got him back for another session and all we did was talk in the second session and we realized that this guy was just going to take us to a place mentally that we hadn't been before and we just something clicked and we got mm. him on board and we brought him back to Australia. He ended up staying here for 17 years, living in Queensland wow. and taking that through to three more Olympics or two more Olympics. And we also then got a success coach on board who happened to be an American as well. So we had these two American guys. I don't know why that was. It just it was just random. And then we had the last piece of our puzzles. So we had our volleyball covered. We had our minds covered. Success coach, a bit different. He was a world-class firewalker and did personal development seminars. So he was out of the box. He mm. wasn't a sports psychologist. He was somebody who's had something completely different to offer us. Um, and it was not mainstream at all. And our federation was just like, what are you doing? Well, like, why? we're not <laughs> money for that. Like, that's crazy. And then the last piece of the puzzle was a guy that kind of put the glue to all of us because we're all so different. And he was um, our um, conditioning coach, a PT basically, who worked with us. But he had a really beautiful uh, temperament who kind of managed us all because we're all kind of different egos and very, very set in our ways. And so he kind of helped us all be together. So we were a team of five. And so, again, when I talk to people about, you know, what they want to create in their life, you got to do it in a team. You've got a team that's helping you put this podcast together. You've yeah. got a team of people that help with your family. You know, you had a team when you were swimming. Like you, you can't do things on your own. You've just got to find the right people. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's, uh, I don't know. I feel like probably as I've gotten older, I've had more confidence to ask for what I need. And I, I'm interested because obviously you were a little bit older in heading towards trying to make the Olympics and then ultimately winning an Olympic gold medal. Like, do you feel like you were able to have the confidence to ask for what you need and to go overseas to seek what you needed? Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it was because I was older that I had that confidence because Natalie was 10 or is 10 years younger than me. So when we first started battling to get the funding that we needed to do the travel and to, to stay overseas and train with the players that we knew would make us better, I was the one that was fighting the Federation. Mm. I was the one that was always in these discussions saying, we need this, we need this, we need this. So I was doing it initially for Natalie. And then when I retired, Natalie obviously then, um, you know, had the confidence to continue on and then fight the fight for her and her new partners. So it definitely age and experience gives you that confidence. Um, it is tough, I guess, especially in swimming. It must be really tough because most, you know, you, you come through at such a young age and so you rely on 
yeah, you're relying on the people around you to, you know, tell you everything to do, mm. tell you when to wipe your nose. You know? <laughs> yes. Well, I was 27 when I retired. So you had, you know, your entire beach volleyball career ahead of you at that stage, whereas I was done and dusted. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, when you were going through, before you even started winning medals, you would have been, what, in your teens. So to kind of stand up for yourself and go, hey, this is what I need, yes. obviously it's a completely different situation. So, you know, all saying what I say, I know it's still difficult for some people to be able to do it, but to, to maybe give them strength that there are things out there that you can ask for and, and even it, away from sport, you know. And women, it's just giving them permission, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's allowing kind of showing people that you're allowed to ask for help or for what you need or, you know, understanding that things might not be quite right. So let's explore that. Let's understand that a bit yeah. better. It's all about the quality of the questions you ask, isn't it, in mm. everything. And I think I was to the point where I was annoying to my coach, to Natalie, to the Federation, I would always be questioning everything. Like I'd turn up to training and our coach would be like doing something with us for half an hour. I'm like, where is this going? He's like, Kerry. And he'd always wipe his forehead like this. Yeah, it's always sweaty. <laughs> you know, it's it's all part of the plan. Like, and you know, to this day, I don't know if he actually ever had a plan. <laughs> he definitely had a plan. But it was never written down. That was not the type of guy he was. And sometimes, and you know, it's we just had to ask questions because you've got to own what you do too like if you're an athlete that just follows everything your coach says and never never like stray outside those boundaries and you don't ask questions then how are you ever going to be brave enough to do something a little bit risky yeah. to actually get the gold right you got to risk and to risk you have to kind of push those boundaries and yeah and asking questions is one of those things the next time you go to the pool Ask your coach, why do you have to do this many reps? <laughs> why? <laughs> no, this <don't>. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the coaches in Australia are going to come after you, Kerry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet you they'll love it because it'll make them go, oh, well, this kid's a bit feisty. Yeah. Maybe there's, you know, maybe there's something in there. But it's, it's so funny because that's, I reckon, one of the moments that my coach and I started to have like some tussles because I, was, I became a mature swimmer. And I started asking questions and I started pushing back and going, uh, wanting to understand why we were doing something or yeah. how we were doing it. So I, I could buy into it, you know, so you could really sort of buy into it and really push yourself because of X, Y, and Z, this is why we're doing it. But I think he really struggled to make that transition from an age group swimmer to a mature age swimmer because as much as I love Stefan, because he, he was, you know, excellent for me, he was exactly the coach that I needed. But I think he really struggled with me pushing back because he didn't know how to navigate those emotions and he didn't know how to navigate an athlete who was just not going, okay, coach, <laughs> and going and doing it. I love it when I'm coaching and the athletes ask a question or I don't even, I'm just assuming that they might have a question. So every time I, I put something together, I actually always explain why because, again, like you said, you've got to own it. You've got to understand you know, in our situation, there are so many different drills we can do. You know, you can break the game down into a thousand different pieces. Every time you play a point, it's different, mm. right? So, you know, you can break all that down and to be able to explain why you do things just makes it seem more sensible, I reckon. Yeah, and you create um, that buy-in because you understand yeah. it. You, you understand what yeah. you're working towards and how this will apply to it. Yeah, well, I definitely didn't ask Ant Middleton or um, <laughs> yeah. Foxy or any of those guys on SAS why, 
<laughs> we were being drowned in a, a jeep or why we had to jump out of a helicopter. But, um, yeah, that, that's a, that was a completely different experience where I had to completely swallow my ego. I had to completely just do every single thing that they wanted us to do. Mm. But I went into that experience knowing that that was it and it was kind of almost one of the reasons, again, why I did it was because I'd never been in that experience where yeah. I just shut my mouth and I just did everything they asked us to, to do. Um, See, I reckon so, I would yeah. struggle with that situation more now yeah. <laughs> because I'd be like, fuck you, why the hell am I doing this? Yeah, but what you probably would realise straight away and if you watched the first two seasons, yes. and we'd already watched the first season, so we knew that if you say one thing, one thing. that was it, yeah. boom. Which is probably another punished. reason why I've said no because <laughs> I don't yeah. think I'd be able to hold my tongue. <laughs> Oh, I bet you would. We had the strongest personalities, the strongest people just absolutely stone-faced, wow. getting screamed in their face, you know, swear words, the whole lot. And the, the good thing about the show, and if you just take that little piece out, I mean, it looks ridiculous. Why would anyone want to do that? But the reason they do that is, is they're trying to whittle out yes. the weaker people in this group because this group of SAS soldiers are going to go and, you know, go to fight to war. So yeah. they want to bring the tough, the best, toughest soldiers with them and the ones that they would rely on in a life or death situation. And the great thing about every single activity we did was Ant probably spent, you never saw this on TV, but he would spend 20 minutes telling us about the drill, about why we were doing being drowned in the car, about what would happen, about how this might be a situation that would really be a life situation that you got stuck and why it's important for us to learn how to get out and to be able to hold your breath and to be able to stay calm. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that I really reinforced about myself was that I can actually calm myself down in, in any sort of fearful situation. Yeah. And I learned, kind of didn't realise I was able to do it as well as I did because there was every single day we, there was a fearful situation to, mm. to be confronted with. And then every single day it was the anxiety of not knowing what was happening next. And that was probably harder than just standing high up on a thing and having to walk along a rail. Yeah. That's obviously scary as anything and, you know, frightening and, and dangerous. But the just that anxiousness of, you know, the lights have gone out, you're about to fall asleep and you just kind of go, they're going to wake us up any minute now and yep. scream at us to run down the parade ground and we're going to have to go and do some beasting set. Like you just don't know what's going to happen next. Mm, that's fascinating. I, but I think that's really cool that you kind of got to experience that um, strength of yours where you are able to calm yourself in any of those situations, which I think as athletes you kind of learn naturally over time because of competitions and pressure and expectations yeah. and breathing was a massive thing really absolutely which I yeah and I didn't do that in my on my athletic career I might have done it like without realizing it but actually doing it intentionally mm. on that course and I'd done a I'd done just a one course with Dean Gladstone he's one of the Bondi rescue guys oh cool from Sydney, and he does the Wim Hof stuff oh the yeah breathing the ice bath and so I did one session, he kindly had me in and I did it, did the ice bath and everything. And just in that session, at the beginning of the session, he asked everyone, how long do you think you can hold your breath for? And I said, oh, probably about 
25 seconds, I'm pretty hopeless. Like I just do not like being underwater. Mm. And so, yeah, I kind of panic and I just, <gasps> I have to breathe. And at the end of a series of all these breathing exercises, we were so calm that he then got us to hold our breath and only start breathing when we when the body was saying you've got to breathe, not like, mm. and then just hold it, hold it and go blue in the face, but just start breathing. At the end of it, and I started breathing and I opened my eyes and people were all kind of starting to breathe and open their eyes. I said to him, how long was that? And he reckons nearly two minutes. Wow. And I'm like, oh, you know, and of course it was a one-off and I'd have to practice to be able to keep that up. But it, all I needed was that thought, like when I was, the, the car was being lowered into the lake, because mm. of course when I did the thing with Dino, I never knew I was going to be in this situation. The car was being lowered into the lake and all I had that memory of that one time that I was able to hold my breath and that kind of kept me going and knew that I'd be able to be under there for 40 seconds without dying. It's uh, <laughs> remarkable. So yeah. You just need to practice. You just need one little experience in your head, I reckon, to give you the confidence mm. to get through something. So you mentioned you kind of recognised that your body was ready to retire. What did you imagine you were going in? go into like did you have a plan for life after sport or were you gonna just kind of fly by the seat of your pants and see where life took you well I retired twice so what most athletes do I had a, a brief comeback and played a third Olympics so I retired after I Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> all about the brief comeback <laughs> yeah yeah we just can't let go because I mean I don't know what why people do it but it's often because you love it right you mm -hmm. just love your lifestyle as a sport is actually so much easier than anything so else. So much more simple. <laughs> oh, yeah, and it's so healthy and it's so active. Anyway, and that's so stressful and hard and everything as well. But, yeah, we love it. That's why we come back. And I came back and I played in Athens. So by the time I, I retired, I was 39, and I, I was setting myself up to say that the only way I'm going to stop playing volleyball is because my knees give out or because I'm pregnant or, you mm. know, I want to have a child. So... When I retired in 2002, I was going to start a family with my then boyfriend. We split up, which oh. devastated me at the time. It was pretty hard. Yeah. And then that's why also I made a comeback because I'm like, well, this girl came to me and she said, do you want to play? We played in the summer. We beat Natalie and her new new Olympic partner. And was that weird? Said, <laughs> Did that feel like you were yeah, cheating on each other? <laughs> Well, it, was, it wasn't at first because I'd retired, so it was normal for her to go on and, and play with someone else. But then when I came back and we played in the final, it was pretty heated, right? <laughs> so we beat them a couple of times and then the young girl said to me, and she's even younger, 15 years younger than me, she said, come on, let's just play Athens. Come on, come on. We've got time to qualify. We had about eight months to qualify. And I said, okay, let's give it a bash. And we got in by the hair of our chins. Like it was just so tight the last couple of the tournaments to get in, but we got in. Then when I retired, 39, boyfriend then became my husband and then straight away, like, let's try and get pregnant, fell pregnant pretty quickly. So I went very quickly from being an athlete to being a mum. Wow. Um, and then I wanted to play one more season with a child, so I then brought in a couple of international players to play just on the national tour. I didn't play international. And then I realised, like, this is just too hard mm. trying to have a, you know, a young, I had a four-month-old when I started playing again. Played the season and then, yeah, like, yeah, no, nah, it's too hard to travel. But then I thought I'll be a coach. So then I went coaching for a couple of years and dragged 
Tyson, my son, and my husband at the time and dragged him around the world a couple of times coaching. And then that got too expensive. Mm. Um, but all through that time I was speaking, all through that time I was sharing my stories and I was trying to, you know, find ways of generating income from the success that I'd had in sport. Mm. So I wrote a book, not that that generated much income, but obviously it was a good experience yeah. and, and gave me a whole, you know, made me actually bring all these stories up and then, just kept on speaking, 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 and I never thought that, you know, 15 years after I'd still be speaking after mm. retiring. But then COVID came and yeah. that all stopped. <laughs> so so that- then I just had some time off. Like I feel like I've been hustling mm. to kind of, because I don't want to get a nine-to-five job, but I feel like I've been hustling, doing all sorts of things, commentating, speaking, emceeing, ambassador roles, charities, all stuff. And then I thought, well, I'm just going to have a break. Mm. And that's when I started going back to the gym with no work and I was just really enjoying it. And now I'm thinking, maybe I should get back to doing some work. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That whole chestnut. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, But now I'm coaching one-on-one, which I never really thought I'd enjoy, but I've actually started coaching and I'm loving it. Like more along the lines of like life coaching or volleyball coaching? Yeah. No, life coaching. So I'm calling my program The Art of Human High Performance. So mm. it's, it's kind of like just really looking at high performance, but not from a sporting point of view, just performing at your best as, a, as an individual in life. So I just have a, like a four-session program that I take. I've taken five women through and, and, you know, they've loved it. And, yeah, I've just – I don't know if I want to build on that or not yet. I, I might start – you might start seeing more – more posts coming out saying, hey, I'm taking on more women. But, again, I'm just kind of feeling the waters and seeing, you know, if I'm any good at it Mm. and, you know, whether people want to to learn from me. But it's fun and I'm enjoying it. And I just I think I just have that bone in me that wants to teach. Like I always wanted to be a teacher but never went to uni for it. But I just want to share my experiences, like not teach things that I have to learn from others but Mm. teach what I've learned from you know, 20 years of sport, mm. um, two different sports. And then SAS was actually a, a real good teaching tool as well. The things that we learnt on that was, mm. I mean, those guys are they're mm. so inspirational, the stories that they tell. And it's really incredible just to sit there. You just like, I can listen to them all day. Mm. I, I mean, I resonate so much with, with what you're saying about wanting to kind of share with people your experiences from your sport because I think it's something that's really unique, but it's actually really universal as well and can be applied basically to all life situations. And I think there are so many, particularly women out there who could resonate with what you have learnt and your experiences. So I think it's amazing what you're you're doing and I'm sure people will absolutely jump on board because that's, yeah, remarkable. Thanks, Libby. And I think also too, it's when you're straight out of sport too, it's sometimes like, oh, yeah, but you're an athlete. And I used to get that all the time. Oh, but, yeah, you're an athlete, yeah. you're an athlete, you're a gold medalist, and you kind of get labelled. Even though you're living a normal life and you've got the same struggles as women your age, you know, and you've got the same struggles with family or with work or finances or health, you know, because, yeah, we were athletes, but we're, we're not now. <laughs> we're just normal women having normal lives. Yeah. But I think it's our mindset is the only thing that is different. And if mm. you can teach people who haven't been through what we've been through and, and guide them through the things that we've learnt, 
um, with the same struggles, then if they can get through those struggles a little bit easier and get a little bit more focused on what they want and, and learn how to get there, mm. then at least you know, we can give back something. Yeah. And I, and I think, like, for me, I found something that I loved and was passionate about at a really young age, and that's a lot of the difference. <laughs> You know, when you find that thing that you can connect with that makes you excited, that makes you want to laser focus on one particular thing for a really long period of time of your life, then that mindset becomes kind of easy and we're really lucky. We're so fortunate that we got this journey through sport. I really, really do believe that because, you know, there's so many other things that you can do and there's so many other great things. But I think, yeah. In Australia, people hold sports people up to a high level as well. Mm. And I, I remember feeling as soon as I won my first Olympic medal, I felt such a responsibility to mm. the, not just the sporting world but to Australians and to women and to any group really that, you know, I felt that kind of role model responsibility and I, I made sure that um, from that moment on I would be that role model. I didn't want to be someone that didn't, wasn't able to offer anything. I wanted to help other people. And, and in the beginning it was other athletes and you and I are both involved with the Gold Medal Ready program. Mm. We were involved with a lot of athletes leading into Tokyo and hopefully for the next Olympics. And I find that so rewarding. Yes. And not every athlete is going to do the same thing as we did. Everyone, and we, you and I are very different in the way we prepared for our, our Olympics and stuff as Absolutely, well. So yeah. to have such a variety of gold medalists coming together to give what we've learned back to other athletes is just really special. I love it. I don't know about you, but I love it. <laughs> oh, I For me, getting to be part of that Gold Medal Ready program um, in the lead up to Tokyo, I just, oh, it just, you know, you spoke about like going home with Natalie when you first stepped on the court with her um, after separating for a bit. Like for me, going into that environment, even though it's not just swimming, you know, it's volleyballers, it's rowers, it was athletes from all walks of life, it felt like going home because it's that high performance mentality and environment that you're you're working towards something really intensely. And I just like, I really thrive in that kind of environment. Um, do, do you feel like you've, you know, because you, you have this incredible mentality you have this great perspective on life and you've obviously pushed yourself in so many different ways not just in your sport but you know in all different facets to learn about yourself do you feel like you have struggled at any points throughout your retirement like do you feel like there's been those moments where you're like fuck this shit (laughs) I'm I'm tired and I just want to like I just want to go back to sport because that was simple obviously you did for a moment um, post breakup and you know post retirement the first time but it, since then do you feel like you miss it at all? Oh I've always missed sport and you know I've always been involved with our sport so I'm on the board of Volleyball Australia have been for a few years now and before that like I said I was coaching in different in, you know different opportunities never in like a full role but always just a little bit here a little bit there. I'd have international teams come into Australia and I'd host them at my house and coach them for two or three weeks, you know. So I always had my toe in the sport. I never completely left it. I'm not one of those people that went, right, I'm never playing volleyball ever again. That's it. I've done my time. I'm just going to completely change my life. I don't think that's really healthy no. um, for a start, for any athlete, unless they can deal with it. And I don't, you know, it's, it's a pretty hard thing to do. It feels um, like you'd be 
quite bitter at the sport, which doesn't feel like it would be a nice state to be in. Yeah, exactly. So in a sense, I kind of gradually, gradually spent less and less time thinking about the sport, you know, from going from training to, to playing to then, you know, retiring, then to coaching and then a little bit less coaching, having a baby, a little bit tra- playing, a little bit less coaching. But then speaking about it for the last 15 years, speaking about my sporting journey has kept me with my foot in the door as well, yeah. if you know what I mean. But, you know, one a good question people ask is, you know, how did you come down? Like how was it when you came down from the Olympics? You yeah. know, what happened to you? And my uh, stock standard answer, I don't know where it came from, but all of a sudden one day I just said on stage to someone, I said, oh, I never have. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, such a good why? way of thinking about it. Why come, why come down? Why do I have to? Yeah. Why don't I always just be really proud that I'm, I was an Olympian or I was at the top of my sport or whatever? I, I just always will be. Um, and I'll help other people get there and I'll always enjoy that feeling. And, you know, obviously I'm not going to be, you know, in front of 10,000 people playing finals or, or whatever anymore, but, you know, finding other things to do. But, um, yeah, when you say did I ever have any problems, I think the hardest thing for me was generally when my speaking work would quieten down mm. because that was obviously became my my biggest kind of money earner over the years and I guess my career turned into, I never, I really didn't think that it would happen. But every, at the end of every year when things get quiet with corporate stuff, I always used to say to my husband, I'm like, uh, I'm like do I need to get a job next year? <laughs> like, <laughs> Is this the quiet. year I'm going to have to? <laughs> and he, he used to laugh because he'd say, you say this every year around December and then January would be quiet and then it would all start picking up again, mm. you know. So I, I had to learn to put it in perspective. But I guess there were times when I thought, should I get a job? And, I, again, I look, I'm really fortunate that I've been able to speak, but at the same time it hasn't been an easy thing to do either. No. Like some people say, oh, you're so, you're so lucky, you know, you won a gold medal and you speak about it. But, well, no, it's really quite hard, mm. one, to kind of, especially after all this time to keep on being able to speak. I've had to change things all the time. I've delivered terrible presentations. I've delivered amazing presentations, just like you play a terrible game of volleyball, Mm. an amazing game of volleyball. I have to put myself out there marketing-wise, do things, you know, a lot of spend a lot of time doing things for free to get the recognition, to be able to, like, get the paid work. So, you know, it's it's not been that easy, but it's just the choice. I just made that choice instead of going to a, a nine-to-five sort of job. And I never had any training in other, any other mm. area either. So I feel like, well, what the hell am I going to do? Mm. <laughs> you know, I don't even know what I can do apart from getting a coaching job. Mm. And then I feel, then I think, well, God, I'm going to have to be out on the sand for four or five hours a day. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be in the sun every day again like that, you know. <laughs> <Yes>. So, <laughs> yeah, because coaching, you know, coaches have it pretty tough. Oh, like, yeah. So, so coaches you know yeah I guess you're outdoors a lot too and you know people ask me all the time why I don't go into coaching and I'm like I don't want to (laughs) 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 like to get up to get up at you know five o'clock in the morning and stand on pool deck and tell people to swim up and down a pool that just I'm not patient enough I would I would just yell I would be like just do the goddamn way. And if, if a coach, uh, if a, sorry, if an athlete started asking me why, I'd be just, just do it. <laughs> I, this is what I did, so just do 
<laughs> I wouldn't be very good. I, I've had this wonderful group of women over the years on a Wednesday morning at 6am on Manly Beach. Um, we stopped doing it a while ago, obviously during COVID, but we'll probably start up again with, you know, and always the group's always changing over mm. time. But it's the funnest coaching I ever do because it makes me get up early. So I actually, you know, don't be, become a slob. And I just, sometimes I'm in a bad mood and they, they kind of get yelled at and have to do, you know, hard things. And they actually find that quite funny. And then other times I'm really jovial and I'm laughing and I'm telling stupid dad jokes. And mm. so actually it's just really, really good fun. And then, but at the same time, I take it seriously and I try and make them better athletes. But that's the kind of coaching I love. I think I got, if I got into a serious like national team coaching role, that would be when the pressure would just be like, oh, yeah. Now I have to kind of be serious all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have to actually like do proper intense work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not for me. And, and write reports and budgets and answer to people and the whole bloody red tape. Yeah, nah, too hard. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. I feel you. Um, I think the, the last question I wanted to ask you, and it's the question that I ask everyone on this podcast, what's your most proud moment from your sporting career? Um, yeah, gosh, there are, there are lots. Um, obviously, you know, like you said, the gold medal, that, that's a, a no-brainer. You, you can't be more proud of, of winning on that day. I think the one thing that I just kept saying over and over, like it was on repeat, it just kept coming out of my mouth, was I can't believe it, can't believe it, can't believe it, can't believe it. Whereas all the work we'd done in the lead-up was about belief. Mm. And the only reason we did it is because we believe we could. Mm. But what I meant was I can't believe that everything that we had done actually worked. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe it. It worked. It worked. It worked. We trained ourselves to think, you know, that this was going to happen and it actually worked. But it, another proud moment was qualifying in, in the, for the Athens, like further on um, once I retired and then came back because Summer Lokovich was my partner and her and I, were under such great stress for that eight months. We only had eight months to qualify. All the other teams had two years of events that they would take their best eight results from. We had eight months mm. or less than that, and there were only eight events to play. So every single event counted for us, you know, whether we bombed out or, or won it. And it came down to the very last event. At the beginning of those eight events, by the way, they actually decided that they would cancel one event and it went to seven oh, and wow. so we actually started that season knowing that we may not even get an eighth event they said we're trying to get another eighth event but if there wasn't an eighth event then we wouldn't have qualified because we had to have eight full results but it was actually the last event that summer and i were just so so stressed every single point mattered every single thing we did every single time we touched the ball and the moment that we realized we qualified that was a pretty proud moment mm -hmm. that i'd got not only myself to my third Olympics at 39, but actually got summer there. Mm. So I was pretty proud of that and being able to give her that opportunity and that, you know, was a pretty incredible journey. Very, very stressful, very, very hard. Hardest thing I've ever done. Mm. Yeah. That's amazing. Not much fun either. Not <laughs> much fun. <laughs> no, I know that in my comeback, it, yeah. <laughs> Everything's just a little bit harder as you get older. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was 15 when I watched you and Nat win gold on Bondi. And for me, one of the most iconic moments of the Sydney Olympics was seeing you collapse to the, to the sand and just, you know, and Nat running over to you. And like, it's just, 
gosh, it's etched in my brain. And one of the main things that I remember thinking at that age that I wanted to go to the Olympics because of, of watching that moment with you guys. It was, yeah, really remarkable. So I just know that you'll continue to inspire women all around the world and all around Australia to live into that mindset and live into our possibilities. And I just, yeah, well done on on everything that you're doing. It's really exciting to watch. Thank you, Libby. And so it, it is so exciting to watch you too and listen to all the amazing guests that you have on your podcast. So thank Thanks for sharing their stories too because I think stories is what makes the world go round. So the more amazing stories we can share, the more we can inspire people. Thank you for listening to today's podcast with Kerry. She is just, I I just think she's so remarkable in so many different ways. I loved watching her on SAS as a 55-year-old woman, uh, just absolutely kicking ass and taking on all of those incredible challenges and obstacles. And yeah, I just thought she was absolutely amazing in that show. But more importantly, her Olympic career, that Olympic moment with Natalie Cook at Bondi Beach was just, yeah, something that's completely etched in my memory and I know is for so many Australians around the country. But I love what she's doing. I love the the concept of the mindset and applying that to every single day and how we live and living with intention. And I'm sure everybody loved today's podcast. So thank you again for listening. Uh, Again, if you have any ideas about someone you'd like to hear me speak to at All That Glitters Pod, uh, send me a DM. And the other thing that I'm just going to ask a favour, if you actually like listening to this podcast, there's going to be a link in the show notes, but you can vote for it for Listener's Choice on the Australian Podcast Awards, and I'd really appreciate a vote if you do like it. Uh, Otherwise, um, yeah, I will chat to you next week.